Hey, potential podcast listeners. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, then our sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You can talk to your therapist in a private, safe, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise with BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. All you do is simply fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in just under 48 hours. After that, you can schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. Join the over 3 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Our listeners will get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com Potential. That's BetterHelp.com Potential. Take charge of your mental health with BetterHelp. And remember, know your potential. Hey, potential podcast listeners. Let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in discreet packaging. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. These results are reviewed by a clinician, and a member of the Let's Get Checked nursing team may call you to review your results. And Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. So, if you want to avoid an uncomfortable office visit or prefer the convenience and get tested at home, visit trylgc.com potential and get 25% off your test using code POTENTIAL25. Once again, that's 25% off your test by going to trylgc.com slash potential using the promo code POTENTIAL25. Take charge of your physical health and well-being and let's get checked. Talking all things entertainment, pop culture, and nerdum. This is the Potential Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Potential Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Dewar, and I'm joined by the summer blockbuster himself. Taylor Sokol. That'd be, cool. That'd be kind of a cool nickname, wouldn't it be? That would be. I mean, uh, they I'm more, call me the I'm more a franchise by now, but... <laughs> what, uh, what, is it, what is it you do? I bust blocks. That's what I do. I'm a blockbuster. <laughs> uh, but here we are back on the Potential Podcast. Here we are, uh, you know, getting into August more as we go along our, our last full month of summer. And at this point of this episode airing, Taylor, you'll have, uh, you'll have had a nice little... Uh, little mini trip if you will to disney world that's right uh, which is just exciting yeah it was a lot of fun and this is uh my my two uh, brothers uh both younger than me uh, christian and nick uh nick is 20 and christian's 18 when this is airing uh and uh 
the um, Nick is autism and he's like a huge, uh, big part of my life and both love Disney and it's kind of a send off because Christian's going to college. So it was like, uh, he said to me, you know, I really want to have like a bro trip this summer. Oh, bro trip. Like your friends? No, with like brothers. I was like, oh, my heart. So I was really excited about that. So he's like, we're going to do a, this is a first ever, just all brothers trip. I'm very excited about that. So yeah, this, uh, um, you know, excited about this. So, um, hopefully it went well. I'm, I'm, I'm safely assuming by the time this comes out, it did. Actually, funny enough, uh, my first ever, uh, bros only trip was also Disney world. Uh, it was also my first time ever to Disney world, uh, at all. Uh, that was exciting back in 2012, me and my two brothers, Tim and Alex, we went to Disney world, uh, for a few days. And, uh, so I think it's, I think it's a fun time when you kind of get to go off and just just have bro time and not have to worry about the parents and uh, their pace, you know, uh, get to go out all night, all day, just going for it. So I'm sure you had a great time. Just brings me back a lot of nostalgia about, you know, seeing all these movie rides and stuff. You know, I, I, I fully feel that there's something about going to those places. And yeah, even as an adult, I'm still going to go because it's your childhood, it's nostalgia, it's your memories. And, you know, speaking of which, Taylor, if you really think about it, you and I are from an era that uh, we grew up on VHS tapes and uh, only so many channels on the TV. We didn't have all this technology we have today where you can watch pretty much any movie or TV show at a click of a button on streaming. And this is the summer season. We're still in our summer blockbuster movie season, which uh, we definitely were missing out on last year as the pandemic went on. And so it's, it's been so nice to see this summer, so many films coming out. Um, of course, it's not all going to be beloved, but there's been a bunch that have, you know, been long awaited for some that were pushed, you know, a year because of COVID. So it's just nice to see a bunch of movies coming out. And that's always the summer season. It seems like a bunch comes out. And so I think you and I were on the same page thinking it'd be kind of fun to take a look back at really a decade that set the bar for what the growth of the blockbuster would be. Uh, really, the blockbuster started to become a thing in the late 70s, and then the era of the 80s really was the first big decade to capitalize on releasing so many movies and a lot of sequels, too, uh, which was not something that Hollywood was really doing a lot of, minus maybe the horror genre or you know certain types of films there wasn't a lot of sequels really going on so we're looking today at the summer movies of the 1980s which is a long decade uh you know there's a lot to cover here it's be five hour long episode yeah. <laughs> the longest episode we've done to this date get ready folks four hours is part one um that's just 1980 first yeah. time <laughs> just kidding that would take forever but you know what, Taylor, I want to start off here with, uh, you know, again, we're not going to be able to cover every single movie, but uh, the first one I have on my list, I definitely think sets the bar for talking about this episode, is Empire Strikes Back. Uh, this, is, of course, is uh, the sequel to Star Wars New Hope. And for some people, you know, including myself and maybe you as well, uh, their favorite Star Wars movie and a sequel that definitely defied what a sequel could do that it could be just as good as, if not better, than the original. Uh, you know, that, that came out the summer of 1980. So I think, you know, what a fitting movie to start off our chat of uh, the summer movies of the 1980s, thinking of 
one of the best movies of all time, let alone also a sequel in our lovely galaxy far, far away. I agree. I think uh, it just, again, like you said, it, it really kind of set in the tone for the summer. And like you, like you also pointed out, again, sequels didn't really start becoming a thing until the late 70s, early 80s. So, you know, again, what a movie that, that kind of defined defined us as kids, you know, going back and watching these. And I just remember getting to see it again in theaters. It was just uh, eye-opening. Now, um, I think a lot of these movies I want to talk about because, again, uh, well, Chris here is, was born in the 80s. I was not. Uh, I uh, was six, line, yes. months, six months shy. Uh, so you can count yourself more as an 80s kid than me. But, again, these define it. The next movie I... I Got to go on my list. This is 1980. This movie brings uh, a lot of joy to me because it was one of those successful movies I thought uh, spun off uh, what is, I think, one of the greatest sketch comedy shows of all time. And that is, of course, The Blues Brothers. Uh, again, what a, what a great movie that could not only just be a fun comedy, but also a musical where the music served the, served the movie well. And I just thought that was just like so great. I remember being introduced to this movie um, obviously years after it came out, but I just was like, this is just the greatest thing ever. It's, it was kind of edgy. It was very, very fun, very smart, and, um, you know, over the top in a good way. And I just, I just forever love that film. It's one I actually need to revisit because I, I don't, for the life of me, can say that I've seen the whole thing in its entirety in one sitting. What? Oh. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I've actually seen the, I've seen the terrible, not as good sequel more than I think I've seen oh, the so uh, OG film, which is really sad. Um, and what's funny is I've actually sung the Blues Brothers before <laughs> in high school, and I did dress up as Elwood uh, one year on the ship we met uh, for Halloween. Yeah. Being middle, uh, Elwood is my middle name, so uh, I should, you know, do my <laughs> research for that. But, um, well, going off comedy here, I did want to bring up 1980s Airplane uh, simply because I think it is one of the funniest movies of all time and it's such a it's such a funny movie to think of uh that of course being a spoof of like airplane movies and like watching that for the first time as a kid i'm sure there's a lot of humor i didn't get because i didn't see the movies it was spoofing um and you know parody is a big part of you know comedy and uh you know even looking at like the snl era and just some of the the great jokes and gags in there and it's one that i think if you watch it over and over again you definitely see new things every time. Um, but, you know, just looking at Jaws being one of the uh, pivotal movies, as we've talked about, that streamed off what really was the beginning of the blockbuster. I mean, there's that great moment where you see, it looks like the airplane head in the clouds, like the shark in the ocean, you know, stuff like that. Just some of the gags in that movie are so, so funny. So I had to bring up Airplane uh, from 1980. Well, sticking the comedy genre, um, another another great film that um, uh, a lot of these movies that I will talk about kind of were all recommended to me or kind of introduced to me by my my dad, and that was of course 1980. You got to talk about one of the best sports comedies of all time, especially this uh, one is Caddyshack. <laughs> and yes. uh, again, no, 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 and this would introduce me as a young kid to. Roddy Dangerfield and the comedy that is him. And I think still to this day, that's just so great that he really, that, that he's a big part of that movie. Like I could not get enough of his character, but everyone has a little nice uh, addition to this. And Bill Murray is so wildly different than any other character he's done. And of course, Chevy Chase being classic Chevy Chase. Uh, the music's great. Some great 
you know, physical comedy. There's some great like lines. It's just perfect. Just so great. Yeah. It is a classic comedy. And then once again, if you uh, watch the sequel, you can see why it was reviewed the way it was. Yeah. Uh, that's all I'll say <laughs> about that. Um, well, my last one here to talk about 1980, uh, I'm going to bring up The Shining just because um, I'm not going to go too much into the actual film itself because you can listen to our episode on it from season one. But um, I think just uh, another pivotal movie that definitely defines this decade and something that has been used a lot in other films to discuss horror and what is, you know, uh, a list of films that people consider some of the best made horror movies of all time. The Shining is usually up there on that list. And so it definitely uh, earns its spot. But just an interesting time to think that it came out in the summer and would not have been released as a, you know, a movie around Halloween or the fall season where more we usually tend to see more horror movies. I think that this was a summer event movie. It just seems like an interesting, and this is not the only one on my list uh, that is horror-based that is like that. So I had to bring up The Shining from 1980. We're moving on next year. Now this, hey, speaking of horror, great jumping off point. I got to mention this one because this, again, scared the living crap out of me. And uh, yeah, and again, and you'll, you'll, you'll know why. And that is, of course, the 1981 film by John Landis, An American Werewolf in London. Oh. oh, of course, this director who had done National Lampoon's Animal House and the Blues Brothers, <laughs> he would go on to get funding for a completely different kind. And the tagline for this was, from the director of Animal House comes a different kind of animal. <laughs> and it was just, it was a very scary, but also funny movie. And it's become, I guess, what a lot of people say is a cult classic today. And it was, again, what I think was so iconic about it is the werewolf transformation scene it still, still holds up still holds up and the fact that this is like 13 like minutes of painstaking transformation that they're and this is all pre-cgi era and this is all and this will go on to not only just inspire so much more creature design and horror effects also my list later on but this would go on to inspire of course michael jackson's thriller music video which one of I guess equally one of the most successful music videos of all time. So yeah, that's why this was on my list. Had to mention this movie. Well, kind of going off of that, a movie that, although I don't think it holds up so much in some of its special effects, uh, but something that's still special to me and I've always enjoyed it um, would be 1981's Clash of the Titans. And <laughs> nice, this yeah. is the movie that, um, of course, follows the the, the journey of Perseus. Um, as he kind of goes off and uh, there's, you know, all the gods, you have Zeus and uh, Athena and all this stuff and then getting into uh, him trying to find Medusa. And uh, it's a very big epic movie with some very cheesy, uh, cheesy effects just because of the time it was made, um, especially when they kind of would go in and out of almost like claymation situations to uh, animate certain characters. And of course, you know, later then uh, we got our remakes um, with Sam Worthington and you know although those were definitely big budget uh, versions of this film there's something that I still admire about the kind of classic 80 look for one of these like you know Greek fantasy films um, and still one I like to uh, put on every now and then so I had to, had to pop in Clash of the Titans there. I think it was funny because I remember first seeing this when I was in school and they used it to like talk about like the, the legends and 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 part of it. so that was like really funny like one of the times when I'm like oh we get to watch a movie we don't have to do actual work this is great yeah so uh the only other two i really wanted to mention uh, just briefly we're not going to go much into it because again we just talked about it a few weeks ago 
1981 was the debut of Indiana Jones. We had Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. Which would, of course, stem off uh, a huge franchise. So I just had to mention that. But um, I did want to bring up History of the World Part 1 by Mel Brooks, uh, 1981. <laughs> it's good to be the king. Um, yeah, it's good to be the king. Just a funny, you know, another film of his that's uh, more chapter-based. It's not one full arc of a film, but him kind of going through what would be the beginning of man up through the French Revolution. Um, and then, of course, the joke being that there was going to be a part two that never got made. And, I mean, you have classic bits in here, like the whole big musical um, Inquisition uh, situation, and then, like, you know, thinking of the whole Rome section. And I mean, there's a lot of great humor in here and some just classic Mel Brooks uh, gags and humor. And one that I really have always kind of secretly wished that he would have made the sequel because he kind of does that trailer at the end of like Jews in space and like Hitler on ice <laughs> and like all this like ridiculous stuff. So had to bring up History of the World Part One. So 1982, this, gotta mention this movie. Uh, Spielberg is gonna be on quite a bit on our list here. But of course, I had to mention E.T., The Extraterrestrial, 1982. Uh, what a film that I think most kids in the 90s uh, and the you know 80s like really got into this. And this is one of those one of the best movies I think to come out on VHS at that time. Is like it was always playing on, on TV, but I remember seeing it, getting the VHS copy, and just being enthralled by this movie. I think so many times we'd seen alien movies where aliens were you know scary, and there was never any movies where the alien was the good guy or like the good creature so this one was like really just defining i think what was so great about it was just the performances of you're not going to get any better child actors uh than like i think in this this film one of the best acted i think as kids wise and i think it was kind of fun fun fact about this movie was it was roughly shot unlike most films roughly shot in chronological order because spielberg wanted to facilitate convincing emotional performances from the young cast and just the creature design of E.T., it was just a heartfelt, it was a movie, it was emotional. I mean, again, you got John Williams, what a score. And hey, we got young Drew Barrymore, kind of put her on the map and trajectory where she's at today. So you had to mention E.T. there. Yeah, we'll definitely do a deep dive into that uh, next year when we hit its 40th anniversary, which is a pretty big thing about um, Well, you know, for those who listen to the podcast, know that uh, I am an actor and enjoying new musicals. Uh, I had to bring up 1982's Annie only because I do think it is um, one of the better adaptations of a musical into film. Um, you have, uh, you know, Carol Burnett here as Mrs. Hannigan, Tim Curry as her brother Rooster, Albert Finney as Warbucks. I mean, it is a, a pretty stellar cast and it's just a, you know, sweet film. And Annie's not really a musical that I really love at all. But I do think that that still stands out as one of the better versions. And there's been a couple that have been filmed uh, past that, but that one still stands out. So I just had to bring it up because it's one that, especially in my childhood, I remember we would get that from the library every now and then and uh, really enjoy it. So, Well, I, it's just so iconic. I think most, and I and to, to, to and reinforce what you think, I think most kids, the first musical introduced to, it's one of the first musicals most kids introduced to. That and Sound of Music, I would say, if you're seeing film-wise. Yeah. All right, well, now we're going to, I'm going to stick with my sci-fi theme here because, again, this was very defining me. Uh, next one, I'm going to go, a lot of these in this year. Um, next one I'm going to do is one of one of the most crazy uh, films of, it my, is of its time. such a, such a trip. Day. And how many, how many 
uh, cuts of, of all the films, you know, you have films that have so many cuts and um, the extended cuts, cut, extended, the director's cut, extended the director's cut, cut. Yeah. the Scott directed, edited, then remade cut, um, the blade cut, the runner cut, the runner blade cut. I mean, the list goes on, but continue. exactly seven, seven different versions of this. And then, of course, Blade Runner, um, because there are just so many controversial changes. And what a great director, Ridley Scott. I mean, he brought us Alien and this movie. Every film he's done, it just he's just got a, such a, an interesting take. But this is just really great because it was definitely a very interesting spin on a sci fi film with this kind of film noir style. And I like it because Harrison Ford has not a lot of action for this film. And I like it's a very gritty performance of his where he's kind of this like uh, kind of gumshoe detective in the future. And um, as he's kind of taken out these replicants and again, Rutger Hauer, man, what uh, he's, you know, rest in peace. What an incredible like he's played so many iconic characters over the years in this movie. And um, I just love that um, he really just steals the scenes uh, in this movie. But uh, yeah, Blade Runner was just like one of those nutty films and again actually interesting some of the one some of the same work built off of philip k dick um based on his work who later um you know would inspire you know obviously total recall minority report things like that so yeah blade runner that's why i'm on some of my list also just some of the really neat set design and stuff for that film uh, especially the 80s you know it looks like so immersive and so just grand and then, of course, that was touched up and, you know, advanced a little bit more for the sequel. But, uh, yeah, that one, it's its like there's something about this decade with sci-fi and fantasy. It just feels a little more real in some ways because it feels a little more grounded. It doesn't seem so uh, polished in a way. Well, my last one here for 1982 I wanted to bring up is Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> yes, on my list too. Uh, just a really classic, you know, kind of coming of age story, high school story here with some just great performances. Uh, you know, this is a young movie for Sean Penn. Uh, and, you know, think of Sean Penn now as this character actor, uh, this actor that really has gone so much into the, the deep, intense uh, acting roles and how goofy and hilarious he is uh, in this in this movie is Spicoli and you know there's a lot of famous uh, bits from this you know Phoebe Cates and and Brian Becker and so there's there's it, it's an interesting film it's one that I don't watch all the time um, but you also have you know a couple little cameos you have uh, Nick Cage is in here very <laughs> exactly and you got Forrest Whitaker who like, Forrest Whitaker um, and then uh, to think uh, you know a movie we'll talk about a little bit uh, Eric Stoltz is in this as well you know so it's interesting even some of the cameos of actors that would eventually go on to have longer careers but had to bring up uh, Fast Times Ridgemont High. Uh, and what an iconic character to like pretty much set the bar for all stoners of all time. He pretty much yeah uh and i gotta admit and then the soundtrack is just incredible it's definitely a quintessential 80s film real quick shout out to a disney film that probably wasn't a big hit for a lot of people or you know when you think of disney you think more animated but this is um again would spawn a sequel years later and that of course is tron uh and i had i had to mention this because i never had seen it until i heard of the until Kingdom Hearts came out. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is a Disney movie. And that's what inspired me to go back and watch. And I thought for its time and the CGI is like animation, like that's that's pretty, pretty cool. And then, of course, this would be one of the earlier films of uh, our favorite Jeff Bridges. So I had to mention um, Tron and throw that in there before we before we leave this decade. 
Well, moving on to 1983, uh, first movie I got to bring up is Trading Places. Uh, this is a great film with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. And this is one of those films where you have, um, you know, Dan Aykroyd is this rich, well-to-do uh, investor, bank investor guy, and ends up uh, having a situation where he essentially trades places to then become a poor person. And Eddie Murphy, who's this man on the streets, is then put in his position. And it's a whole, you know, the plot continues in a, in a funny way, but there's a lot of really funny humor, and especially for that decade, thinking of films that would kind of bring up uh, tensions about race and money and class. Um, there's a lot of, of, of that in this film. And actually, is it's funny to think of there's a few characters in that film that were also brought up in Coming to America, <laughs> yes. uh, Coming to America 2, even though they, it doesn't really, Eddie Murphy plays a completely different character in Trading Places. Um, the, the Mortimers, the, the two brothers uh, or whatever, they, they pop up a little bit in those movies as well. So, um, you know, it's one that I, I, I haven't seen in a long time, but I, you know, me and my dad would love to watch Trading Places when we were younger. So I had to bring that up. Well, that's funny you say that because my dad got me into that as well. And I think when we think of um, the 80s, you know, Eddie Murphy is a huge, huge part of that. And Dan Aykroyd, of course. Well, kind of going along with that in, in terms of a humorous movie that um, I, I remember we had this we had this on DVD for a long time when I was younger. And I think it's, it's a not as well known a movie for Michael Keane, but it is one of his best roles. And it is hilarious is Mr. Mom. Um, which yeah. actually like thinking of like that movie nowadays with like uh, the pandemic and people on the work from home or losing jobs I think it would hit a little more nowadays also just knowing that we are definitely in the time and era where women work women can you know there are stay-at-home dads and that is uh, definitely a thing um, the movie of course is he ends up losing his job he gets canned from his job and his wife ends up finding work so he has to become a stay-at-home dad and of course he's terrible at it um, dub the name Mr. Mom. And I mean, some of the stuff that Keen ends up doing is hilarious. Like at one point he's ironing underwear and then it's like the kid wants a grilled cheese. So he just takes the iron and like puts it on the grilled cheese and hands it to the kid. He's vacuuming. I mean, like he's having a fight with this vacuum, this demon vacuum. I mean, like there's some really funny bits. And there's also a couple other great actors in that film. I've done a bunch of comedy movies. So I had to bring up Mr. Mom. Well, and to think of where... Uh... <laughs> He would uh, move on to uh, yes, coming up. Like, we'll get the to Mr. Yeah. Mom guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, this one's very random. I have to throw this one out here, 1983, because this is my introduction into what is probably one of the most iconic uh, science fiction slash horror series. We got the same exact thing. I know and of course, I got to mention Twilight Zone, the movie. Great title. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what you're getting into. Uh, and another touches Spielberg, Spielberg and John Landis uh, both produced this film and which is great we've iconic directors during this decade uh and it was just great because this was just like the series it was taking little like kind of episodes and it basically remade three different episodes and then had a uh original episode but I remember seeing this because my mom loved, loved the series she got me into Twilight Zone like the original Rod Serling so I was like this is interesting I'm gonna watch this and I remember seeing it on TV that was like this is still at the time when you release stuff on TV oh big event never gonna come back of course they do that now <laughs> but it's like better watch it now we can't pause so I just remember watching this and like kind of really creeped me out and like oh my gosh like I think was one of my, some of my first adept intros into horror film, but I was just, I just remember so, so good. And you got some great uh, things from John Lithgow. You got uh, 
of course, Dan Aykroyd, Albert Brooks. Uh, so it was just, it was so good. I just love this film. Yeah, I remember the 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 two that got me the most in that was the one guy that was kind of, um, you know, he was kind of a a, a mess at the bar, and then yeah, he was a, sudden, he was a bigot, kind of a racist. He was a bigot and a racist, and all of a sudden he ends up in Nazi Germany, and he gets taken to the concentration camp. And then the other one, yeah, is the infamous John Lithgow on the plane, and he sees the alien. Uh, and he is having this massive panic attack and just freaking out. Um, it creeped me out as a kid for sure. And actually, funny enough, um, you know that you know, the bit that Dan Aykroyd would do, he's like, you want to see something scary? And the guy would be like, yeah, sure. He's like, you want to see something really scary? And then he'd like turn around and be this like blue demon and attack him. Yeah. I used to do that to my little brother. <laughs> After watching this movie, I would pretend to like molt into a demonic face and stuff. <laughs> God, you're horrible. I love it. But yeah, I just... <laughs> That that and then when the kid could wish for everything and remember when that guy pulled the creepy rabbit out of the hat I was like and the girl had no mouth oh that was okay I just I like how I cover my mouth and we're on the mic so I, <laughs> this is a yeah an audio podcast we still act out everything folks um, one day we'll release the tapes so it'll be the hidden tapes of the potential podcast yeah um, exactly. well you know kind of going off of the mix of eerie but also comedy um, you know we had to bring up you know we we talked about it last year. Uh, moving in 1984 here, talking about Ghostbusters. Yep. Uh, this definitely is a film that uh, is very beloved, and we're waiting to get uh, the next sequel coming up here uh, this fall. Um, but, you know, Dream Team, Ivan Reitman under the helm. Uh, you know, we got Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd. You got uh, Sigourney Weaver and Harold Ramis and Rick Moranis. I mean, just like Ernie Hudson in there, Andy Potts. I mean, it is uh, a Dream Team and it just holds up as a really funny movie that happens to feature uh, Ghost as the center of its plot. And um, curious to see where it's going to go next, but had to bring up Ghostbusters. Again, a funny thing to think of that movie, which is so correlated with more of the Halloween season being released as a summer film. Well, it's funny. My next film, I got to mention, you know, same, same, same day uh, it came out, <laughs> which is funny, competition. I wow. Mission, Gremlins. That's right. So I just like, and like also, you know, you think that'd be a holiday film because it's in Christmas. Uh, it's not. So uh, Christmas I, in July, I guess. Yeah, or June. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it was just so, I remember how creepy that movie was and just, yeah, it was just like, oh, it was like the whole lesson of like, you better take care of this pet. And uh, I just remember I always or wanted a mog. Things yeah, happen. Exactly. I always wanted a mogwai. I always wanted a gremlin. And uh, oh, funny enough, so cute. It was. It was. Gizmo was getting. Of course, I would name Gizmo's my dog so Gizmo cute. years later. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, rest in peace, Gizmo. And uh, Howie Mandel, the voice of Gizmo, I think it's kind of crazy to think like he's done, you know, deal or no deal. And this is the guy, you know, who did the voice. What a of... random thing to have on his resume. Exactly. Um, no, and actually that movie, uh, I do find Gremlins too to be a, a lot of fun. And there's been talks and rumors forever to get a Gremlins 3 made. Uh, it still has not come to fruition, but that first movie is a very, to me, it's not horror. Um, but for some people, that is horror. Um, I think it's just funny. It's, uh, you know, they're, they're so goofy looking. I mean, yeah, it's creepy. They definitely have, you know, a little bit of the um, scary look to them. But uh, so, I just think it's a, a funny, cute movie. Uh, and I, I, I would love to see more from the Gremlins. And those have definitely become an icon of, of horror and, and of Halloween. Um, 
but yeah, funny, funny to think that both those movies came out same day. Well, I only have one movie left of 1984. I wanted to bring up, uh, this is a beloved fantasy film for a lot of people. And, um, you know, we've talked on this podcast before of the power of a book to film adaptation. Well, you know, looking at films like Princess Bride that would, you know, come out later and, you know, things of that nature where it's kind of like the power of what books can be and the imagination. Uh, this leads me to The Never Ending Story. Um, never which I do think. Story. Um, this movie is really fun. Uh, it's it's one of those movies where you know you have the the poor kid who's uh, you know picked on and stuff, and he doesn't have the best relationship with his parents and all the stuff. And then he he finds, you know, he finds a place in this book. But then the weird thing of he starts to like become part of the book and like and there's some really like crazy fantasy uh you know imagery in that and this uh some heartbreaking stuff rock, too in that movie this giant rock mon- oh man don't talk to me about a tray and the, and the horse i can't i can't go back to that i just can't bring it up anymore <laughs> um but you know another movie that would spend uh you know spawn off a couple sequels um but not as good as the never ending story I had to bring up uh a classic fantasy film of the 1980s well chris i think this is a perfect time before we head over to the 1985 uh year with some more films i think we should take a little break and reflect on these awesome 80 movies and um get some uh, get some popcorn and buckle in mm. oh yeah oh yeah mm. Mm. what are you doing what are you eating during this podcast yes yeah, so is there a problem with that so, good God, man, your munching is distracting. Hey, I can't help it. It's this new seasoning I got. It's so delicious. Seasoning, you say? Yeah, from the Steel City Salt Company. Did you make that up? No way. It's the store to go for all your seasoned, salted, and spice needs. Since 2011, it's been bringing a new era of exciting flavor to the city of Pittsburgh and the surrounding regions. From their popular flavors like garlic herb, dill pickle sea salt, and black and gold. Sounds great, but I don't live in Pittsburgh. That's not a problem. They actually ship nation and worldwide. Wow, that's awesome. So go to their website at steelcitysalt.com and order now. Free shipping on orders $39 or more. And let's spice up your life. Hello there, it's me, Tommy. And boy, do we got a deal for you. That's right, Tommy. You do not want to pass up on this deal. Indeed, Bobby. Listen up. We are children of the best decade of all time, the 80s. You cannot beat the 80s, especially the movies of the 80s. Simply the best. (laughs) Better than all the rest. So we got a brand new bundle just for you. We handpicked eight of our favorite movies from the 80s. And somewhat in condition. Yeah, they are from our own personal VHS collection. They may be slightly used, but still worth it, I tell you that. And that's not all that comes with this deal. There's more. If you order in the next 30 minutes, you get eight tees with your eight 80s movies. That's right. Eight 80s t-shirts included if you order in the next 30 minutes. The t-shirts may be slightly used as well, but they were in our clean drawer. We promise. Eight 80s movies, eight 80s tees, all for $18. This deal, you can't beat it, Michael Jackson. So order now for this once-in-a-lifetime deal and get your 80s fix today. 
Well, we're back here talking about the summer movies of the 1980s. Uh, and so, Taylor, yes, we are moving on to 1985. Going back to quintessential 80s films, I kind of talk about something is nothing more 80s, as we say with Fast Times, is that of the teen angst and the high school, you know, uh, dramas. And I had to talk about this because who better, who one of my favorite directors of all time is John Hughes. And I got to mention 16 Candles. Uh, just <laughs> what a, just such an iconic film of of his movies and i i know that they're all very iconic in their own way but this one i just remember it's one that constantly is played on tv and i just you no matter what part you jump in you just get glued to the film and that you can it's just all in one setting and like a film that you can pretty much in one setting you put characters that pretty much are timeless you've got you know everyone whether they're high schoolers or they're adults you put all in one setting and how they can kind of hash out their differences. I thought that was really cool. It was a refreshing take on more, m- most, if not all, high school films at the yeah. time. And, I mean, Molly Ringwald has really, that's like, that was her bread and butter, was that decade. Yeah, she was pretty, and she was a John Hughes golden girl, I, I think. And uh, just, <laughs> you and, and yes. look back now, like, it's, it maybe hasn't aged well in some areas, but it's just, it's so, uh, it's so nuts. I just, I, I do love the movie Long Duck Dong and everything. And, uh you know, Jake Ryan, we all we all knew Jake Ryan. So and, and Anthony Michael Hall, come on. So one that I have to bring off off the bat, um, probably one of the, the the best known and remembered films of this decade. Uh one that people still hold up as probably one of the best movies ever made, and one of the better films that deals with time travel. Uh, of course, I had to bring up Back to the Future. Ah, uh, yes. Just uh, a, a great Great film there, starring, of course, uh, Michael J. Fox and Chris Lloyd, um, directed by Zemeckis himself, who's done quite a bit of movies in this decade as well. And we'll get to him a little later. But uh, this great film about this invention of this DeLorean, how it can go back in time and getting stuck in a time era and having to deal with what if you what if you met your parents and they were the same age you were? And, you know, if you change things in the past, will it change things in the future? Um and just a funny movie with a great soundtrack and uh, a lot of good laughs, a lot of good characters. Um, uh, and of course, it would spawn off two sequels and you know theme park attractions and shows. And now we have a musical uh, on the West End and probably will come to Broadway one day, Back to the Future, a musical. I hope there's some Huey Lewis in there because there, there better be. It has to be. Uh, has to be, but how to bring it back to the future. You can't, you can't do this episode without it. No, exactly. I mean, we're going back in time to talk about these movies. Might as well have a time travel film. But yeah, incredible film. First time I ever saw it, I'm like, what is this movie? And I actually saw it on TV for the first time. So uh, that was pretty exciting. And um, I skipped dinner. Probably the probably same for me, I would I would imagine. Probably the same. AMC, thank you. Uh, now, you know, stick in... Um, you know what? Let's go stick with sci-fi. Uh, this is a little different, but uh, a, lot of my, a lot of my 80s films are dealing with, um, you know, teen, teen drama. And uh, I had to go back to another John Hughes classic. Uh, that would be Weird Science. <laughs> uh, I I had to mention this one. We're both nerds, and uh, when we were younger, you know, uh, you know, attempting to um, meet women, and uh, I don't know, I struggled. I don't think you did, but uh, that's, I'm going to be honest here. Uh, so I think this is the idea that these two nerds are like, we can't get girls. Let's make one. <laughs> Just this whole like utter like the male fantasy that um, it's not going to happen, guys. But uh, this will try. So I just, but the humor and Kelly LeBrock, whoa. And then you had just 
some great early roles from Bill Paxton as the the jerk brother, uh, Chet, and uh, you got Robert Downey Jr. in here um, as he, uh, one of the bullies. So I just I just remember this this one. And of course, we get the the great theme song, Weird Science Oingo Bongo. So uh, yeah, that's why I had to mention Weird Science. I know. You better make me go into the song. I'm not gonna do it. So that's why I had to throw out there, Weird Science. Well, kind of going off on the uh, adventure of some young uh, folk going off and finding, uh, you know, uh, a treasure or finding something that they're looking for, yeah. if you will. Uh, of course, I have to bring up here The Goonies. Hey, you guys. Classic ensemble movie directed by Richard Donner, um, where we'd see the likes of uh, very young, you know, Sean Astin, Jeff Cohen, Corey Feldman in here. Uh, Jonathan Kahui Kwan, who of course we know from uh, Temple of Doom, and you got you know young Josh Brolin, uh, you know uh, just a great cast. And this is one of those films where it really is like a funny adventure movie, but it's really about the kids, the ensemble, um, how they interact with each other, and uh, you know they're trying to save their town, they're trying to save their home. Uh, you know they're kind of dealing with oh our house is going to be up for sale unless we make some money. How, we, we we're kids, we don't make money. Oh, we found this treasure map. Let's go find One-Eyed Willie's treasure, um, which is so funny to think of that name nowadays would have a very different connotation. <laughs> Sounds like a bar. Uh, but a, a great, goofy movie that I do think it's interesting to think of that kind of concept has not really been remade. Um, there has been talks of a Goonies sequel for a long time. It has never happened. Um, um, or, you know, a whole new adaptation, uh, you know, based off that kind of property. But uh got to go back and you know love the goonies and actually i have been in oregon uh in astoria where a lot of the stuff was filmed there um As which is really cool you know yeah off yeah. of our ship life days so the exactly goonies. My last film for 1985, I have to bring up, especially because as, uh, as the recent few months, it has been a source of employment for me, uh, but a film I've actually always have enjoyed. It was my first time to see this specific character. Um, it also marks the real directorial debut, uh, full feature length for Tim Burton, had to bring up Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Uh, yes. uh, this film uh, starring, of course, Paul Rubens, who uh, created the role of Pee-wee. Um, he'd already had the show going on, and this was a way to bring Pee-wee to big audiences in a movie sense. And it's a funny, you know, silly movie where he has this bicycle he loves, it gets stolen, and the whole movie is him trying to go off and find his bicycle. That is the most basic plot. There is a, a lot of goofiness in that movie because it is Pee-wee, but it's also the the little influences of you'd start to see of Tim Burton, where it's a good mix of a little bit of eerie mixed with comedy, something that he would use in a lot of films. You know, eerie, goofy, and fantasy all combined in one. And there definitely is a lot of that in that film. And honestly, it has some really funny dialogue. Uh, Paul Rubens is in rare form as Pee Wee. I think it's just a really adorable film. And of course, that film would uh, give us the infamous tequila dance that you can now see me perform a couple times a week over at the Beetle House LA. So <laughs> you better uh, say the energy. I'm going to be seeing you do that in a couple months. I know, exactly. Uh, but now we can move on to 1986. Yes, we can. This now, is a big year. Big oh, year. this is huge. Huge, I tell you. Now, I got to talk about this film because I think it's no, no, there's only a few films. But I think this 80s definitely sparked a lot of the macho male films. I think, 
you know, 60s and 70s. It wasn't necessarily you know, macho. It was a little bit more of that rugged guy. But it was, this one is like pure testosterone of the 80s. And I got to mention Top Gun, 1986. And I remember seeing this for the first time actually in DVD. I wouldn't see it in, on VHS or wouldn't see it in uh, TV, but DVD in all its amazing glory. Again, this is, you know, as Tom Cruise has become more and more popular, this definitely, when you hear Tom Cruise, you think of this movie as one of like the most iconic films of all time. Again, you got Val Kilmer and, you know, it's just such a, and Tom Skerritt, who we see in Aliens and, and another, uh, I'm sorry, Alien and uh, many other uh, great films. It's just something about this film was just, it's just this adrenaline filled movie. It, it, it's got this, you know, the cheesy kind of romantic um, story involved. Um, and a, they play that same song so many times. And a very awkward, awkward sex scene with that song where it's like, <laughs> it's like, what's happening here? But yeah, it's just so, so crazy. And I remember rewatching actually uh, this past year and it's still like, you just kind of laugh at just the, sometimes the absurdity of a movie, but it's definitely like, this is like the movie to keep you on the edge of your seat, especially a lot of these dogfight scenes are very intense with these uh, fighter pilots, but I had to mention Top Gun. Yeah, we're excited to see this uh, sequel, Top Gun Maverick, later this year and see uh, just where those characters have ended up. And of course, with better camera work and all that stuff, how it'll uh, advance. Well, you know, we've mentioned John Hughes a few times so far, and we got to mention him again because he did direct many great hits of the 80s. So here in 1986, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, this is a beloved film from many people. Of course, uh, Matthew Broderick starring here, um, where this is, it's a really, it's one of those films where it's like a really simple premise. It's just a great character study. It's a, it's a movie really about characters. Uh, you got Mia Sarah and Alan Ruck, uh, of course, who plays Cameron, who is hilarious. And it really is just about this boy who uh, likes to uh, play sick and he takes a day off and it's all the stuff that happens in that one day. And it's one of those moments where you kind of look at all that could happen in one day and how it almost seems impossible. But so many things do happen in that one day. And uh, it is a great ode to Chicago. I feel like if you're someone from Chicago, loves Chicago, uh, they definitely use a lot of that in the film. And I have to give up, you know, a big shout out to Jeffrey Jones, who plays Ed Rooney, who we've seen in uh, tons of movies. And he him just on this uh, never ending journey to try to, uh, you know, catch Ferris Bueller in the act of <laughs> yeah. uh, playing hooky. And it just leads to some really, really uh, funny humor. And it's a it's a neat film and one that, again, uh, hasn't really ever been, uh, you know, replicated, hasn't had a sequel and like that. But there was that great uh, moment they had in uh, the end of Deadpool when uh, Deadpool used the whole ending where he's like, hey, you're still here. The movie's over. That was a really fun uh, nod to Ferris Bueller. Well, and again, like Deadpool, it's a great self-referential film where the breaking the fourth wall, I think, and not many films can do that well and perfect. So the movie I'm going to go next to, um, you know, we talked about uh, horrific movies and talking about great um, effects work, you know, before pre-CGI. Of course, oh yes, uh, we have to talk about uh, The Fly. Uh, yeah, oh, Jeff Goldblum. Yes. Uh, what a creepy, creepy film. Uh, and this, 
Ugh, and and uh, gross. And this is what David Cronenberg directed this would be really well known for his, um, you know, uh, this effect, make, makeup effects. And this is crazy because this was um, a remake. This is when remakes started. Um, you see more and more remakes, I think, you know, coming into, you know, other things. And this was a 1958 film, black and white film. This is a remake of it. And of course, that one I did see. And that one's a little bit more hokey. But this one was very like creepy very edgy and and course with a very tragic ending where you think you know it's all going to go well it's not but what does this film so justice is of course jeff goldblum as he slowly loses his mind to become more fly than man and i think ever since this movie this just encapsulated everything that's great about goldblum and uh we got gina davis who has a huge star the 80s and onward uh which bunched her and uh, some other work as well but yeah i had to mention the fly um just great stuff speaking back to another uh uh sci-fi film you know i guess we have to bring it up here um we won't go too much into detail because again we talked about this last year and uh uh, our episode with our friend ron but i have to bring up aliens and this to me is a perfect summer blockbuster sequel like this is when you release this film um you know alien definitely is a film that is more horror than anything so that does definitely seems a film that you would have come out in like the fall or like Halloween, you know, but aliens is really an action thriller um, more than anything. And uh, this is again, similar to empire strikes back a movie that uh, does as good as the original, but then for many goes even further. Um, It was, you know, bigger, bolder, it had a bigger budget. um, And it's, it definitely has some real epic moments and a great, uh, performance, of course, from our uh, lovely Sigourney Weaver, definitely one of her most popular characters, Ellen Ripley, through all the Alien films. Uh, she did get the nomination for Best Actress in a Leading Role for Aliens at the Oscars. Uh, pretty impressive, because typically sci-fi and fantasy are often overlooked uh, for any kind of category. So it just shows you how much uh, that film was loved and uh, deserved the accolades it got. I'm just going to mention a few more here from 86, just because, again, it was a big year. Uh, First off, Back to School is a comedy that I've loved for a long time that my dad introduced me uh, to that film. Um, You know, of course, we had Candy Shack earlier with Rodney Dangerfield, but this is a a really funny film um, where he he uh, he's he's very wealthy, but he has never finished college. And so uh, this character that Rodney plays decides to go back to college to get his degree. And he goes to the same college that his son goes to. And there's just so many funny antics in this movie. It's, you know, Rodney, of course, he was the master of being the main main character in this film. This is like a big, big role for him, which I mean, he, he did, he didn't really have a ton of that. And it was because he was more suited to be the side character that would come in with the punchline. Um, but it's a very funny film and you have Keith Gordon here playing his son, uh, Robert Downey Jr. is in this movie. Um, you have Sam Kinison, uh, has this hilarious whole bit where he is the history teacher and he's always like, we went in there and we shot those bastards. We come in. It's like, but there's some really funny moments where it's like, you think if you're of a certain age and you went back to college and you start to have hots for the teacher, because you're not really thinking it as I'm a student, you know, he's, he's, you know, old enough and all that and funny bits were to be like uh 
did you read the book? Read the book. I saw the movie. It was yeah. much better. You know, like and I love when he like, like and then, then him and his his uh, his his son and his roommate. He like redoes the dorm, so it's like like a whole giant apartment. Then I go to Labyrinth here. We got to mention Labyrinth real quick. Yes, we do. Um, another cult classic film. Uh, very weird. Uh, David Bowie and his balls. Um, all <laughs> four of them. Yes. Uh, you remind me of the Bay, but Bay, the Bay with the package. The Bay with the bulge. Um, <laughs> good God. I was like, they couldn't have, you know, but it was David Bowie at the time, you know, but a, a great fantasy film with, uh, you know, Jim Henson's uh, Muppets and using all the puppets and all that stuff. It, it is a, a film that people still have a, a cult classic for. Um, again, hasn't really ever been replicated. I wonder if we would ever get a remake with someone nowadays or a sequel or you know there's so much more i feel like they could develop in that uh world that they never have touched on but definitely a cult classic and then the last one i had to bring up um just because it, it it's a recent film for me that i've loved and you've gone to see it we just reviewed it recently um stand by me just another uh really fantastic stephen king adaptation that came out rob reiner directing that one so that ends my 1986 film so let's move on to 1987 i'm almost there it's it's almost chris chris in the world time yes it is so 1987 i gotta mention this one because it there's a lot of great animated films out there but this one is uh definitely a little scary uh and you know this came out this is pre toy story and that is of course the brave little toaster <laughs> i uh i absolutely love this movie because it was like again scary but fun it had like music to it and you you got some great voice cast, uh, uh, John Lovitz, you know, Phil Hartman, and uh, just, you know, just these little, uh, you know, appliances that are going on this little journey to find their owner. Uh, I just remember just always when that came on, would love watching that movie. It would spawn other sequels, but, you know, it's just one of those great, you know, cult animated films that people are still talking about to this day. So I had a, had a shoot out there. I can never think of Tutti Frutti without thinking of the brave little toaster i feel yeah i, 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 have, I always like to, yeah, i have to clean the house to, with that song on <laughs> or you go to ihop and like you want to get the tutti frutti i'm always like brave little toaster yeah, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> come on everyone the radio's here uh i can't think of a radio voice without john lovitz in my head um i'm just going on a spree here a little bit here you jump in the next one but i gotta i gotta shoot here going back to sci-fi talking about you know 80s were a time of aliens robots and cyborgs and here we have one of the yeah one of the one of my most favorite iconic 80s movies and that of course is RoboCop. Uh I had to had to mention this one Dead or Alive you're coming with me. And it was just what a, what a what a just great, you know, 80s movie in terms of just just action. It was just spawned on um several sequels uh but I just I just absolutely, you know, love this movie cuz it was very very edgy you know, set in the future of, you know, what policing would be like. And you get a lot of great, um, great actors that have been in a lot of their, you, uh, a lot of, not other films uh, during the eighties. Uh, but, uh, just, just what a great film. And, I, and just the animatronic work to make that look so great that, you know, again, Peter Weller, who's, you know, performing as the iconic character. It's just like, so cool. Well, kind of going off of the sci-fi, uh, uh, action you know genre um you know we talked about aliens we got to talk about uh, another franchise that was launched here in 1987 that's predator um and this film still holds up really as such an entertaining film 
um, with not much of a plot. It's a very basic plot, but once you're in it, you are in it for the ride, and it is uh, really awesome. Um, you know, this film of this group of soldiers that are out in the jungle, and they just know that something is hunting them. The thing is, they cannot see what is hunting them, and they start to learn that what is hunting them is not of this world. And it is this creature, this alien that has this uh, advanced technology, these advanced weapons, and, you know, a great film for Arnold Schwarzenegger. And you got Carl Weathers in there, just a bunch of great actors. And this, of course, has launched a huge franchise of multiple movies. And I think the creature design for The Predator is just some of the creepiest, you know, the, the when they made Alien, they definitely uh, did such a great job that I felt Predator was another one they had to kind of match but match in the way that it would almost balance off of these group of mercenaries you know he he walks very much like a man who has a very similar build and has you know muscles and all this stuff and would act kind of like a soldier but Sorry, that face that face with the, those little the mandibles four prongs, you know, yeah, the mandibles, crab, oh, crab face good old crabby face a great a great movie that uh, uh launched a, a franchise and i hope that we you know I didn't really see the last uh, edition of it, but uh, I kind of would love if they did another Predator movie kind of back, back to formula. Um, so, <laughs> exactly. Anyway, and uh, great, great iconic lines too. Get to the chop up. Everyone knows that. You're one ugly son of a bitch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If it bleeds, we can kill it. So yeah, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. And it's so funny going back in um, the documentaries, the original creature design, like the head was so goofy looking. Like, I'm like, I'm glad, like, it was like, yeah, we need to, uh, we need to work on this thing. So, uh, so yeah, I have to, I have to mention Spaceballs. Um, you know, I think sci-fi is, is, is a, a genre we love a lot, you know, from Star Wars to Star Trek, Planet of the Apes. Uh, you know, there's so many great sci-fi franchises and Mel Brooks did not hold any punches back. Uh, it is such a hilarious movie, great cast. Yeah, Rick Moranis, John Candy, uh, Bill Pullman. Um, I mean, it is just such a hilarious movie. And of course, Mel Brooks as well. <laughs> uh, Governor Screw. Uh, and some of like just such, there is, it's such dumb humor, but that movie will make me laugh to the point of tears almost every time I watch it. And it still to me holds up as one of his best he's ever made. Um, and another movie that kind of led to maybe there would be a sequel down the line. Um, I remember at one point in New York, there was these random like Spaceball 2, the search for more money posters that started popping up. And people were making rumors that because Star Wars was uh, brought back by Disney and they had new Star Trek movies and Avatar, there was going to be a sequel. We haven't seen any news that actually is true, um, but I had to mention Spaceballs. And then lastly, not one that I consider like one of my favorite films of all time, but I do definitely think it holds its place in the eighties, uh, especially because we haven't talked too much about rom-coms, but I had to bring up dirty dancing um, ah, just yeah. because I do think that um, it has its iconic moments, especially, you know, with the song uh, time of my life. And of course the, the moment where Patrick Swayze, you know, lifts up does the, the girl. Left. I mean, there's, there's, does the left, which everyone tries to copy very few can actually nail it. Well, they always try to do it in one go, and I'm like, dude, they had to train for that. Uh, and it's it's such a such a parodied thing in so many films still to this day. But it is it is a it is a a, a fun movie. You know, Jennifer Grey is great, and you got Jerry Orbach, and um, it is a fun movie. 
that was definitely another era of Swayze was in his prime as, uh, you know, we didn't mention Roadhouse earlier because it is <laughs> such a funny movie uh, in a very bad way, but like one of those, it's so bad you want to watch it. Please. Roadhouse. Well, now I think it's time to move on to 1988. We're getting there, people. Uh, a good year. A good year, 1988. It would age like a fine wine. Yes, um, it would. Uh, I think I aged that way. <laughs> well, we got to talk about, you know, talk about classic comedies. And I think this one still, if you think about this actor, this is one of his, you know, earlier roles but an iconic one and uh it's a it's a big movie with a big title uh because it's of course big 1988's big the fantasy comedy starring tom hanks where he is the uh where young kid josh baskin uh, bashkin can't speak bashkin uh who wishes makes a wish to be big and literally grows into adult overnight and of course played by tom hanks who just encapsulates that childlike wonder and this is just one of those films just like, this is why Tom Hanks is the greatest actor of our generation, uh, of our time. And uh, it's just so fun. And of course, I just love the classic scene at you know, F.A.O. Schwartz, which is, again, this is this is a great New York film, let's be honest. And um, if, we, if Ferris Bueller, what Chicago is to Ferris Bueller, this uh, New York is too big. Uh, and I just love the F.A.O. Schwartz theme when they're, you know, playing the piano and doing chopsticks. It's just, uh, just so great. Um and the some of the humor, the humor is just so, so subtle, subtly done. I just really, I really. It's very love that. honest. It's it a is. very honest performance. Um, you know, I feel like there are certain tropes in acting that some people they play to the extreme. Um, like for example, if you were to play drunk, if you were to play angry, if you're to play depressed, some people play it way to to the nth degree. And I feel like Tom Hanks definitely found that fine line of. He's playing the truth of the situation, but there's something really interesting of watching this adult man who happens to have the, the you know, he has the intellect and emotions of, you know, a 12 year old. Um, and it is, it is a, a movie where it's kind of funny You look at Tom Hanks career. A lot of his earlier films were all these goofy comedy movies. That was his casting. Um, it wasn't until, you know, he would kind of move into the nineties and, you know, eventually, you know, movies like Forrest Gump in Philadelphia, it wasn't until like that, that he started to become more of the serious actor that we know him today. Although yes, he's still done plenty of comedies and obviously Toy Story and uh, stuff, but to think of, you know, one of the most uh, gifted actors of our time, uh, this era was definitely still doing all these funny, goofy comedies and big is one that uh, still holds up. Just watched it a, a few months ago, actually. Well, kind of going off New York, I had to bring one up that uh, definitely is a film that defined this actor's career um, would start to really be the, the film that would make his the typical type of genre that he would act in still acts into this day. And also another actor that we uh, unfortunately lost uh, a few years ago, but this is one that um, as someone that it was also defined as an actor who could do villains, uh, this is one for him as well. So I'm talking about Die Hard, yes. uh, Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman, uh, just two of their most noted uh, famed roles. And, you know, this movie, of course, would launch uh, a franchise as well. There's been plenty of Die Hard sequels, some that are great, some that are not. Um, but this this to me is like a perfect summer blockbuster film. You have, uh, uh, again, it's funny to think that this was released in summer because this has been the controversial movie of, is this a Christmas movie? Uh, yes or no because it is just set like around gremlins. the holidays just like gremlins <laughs> pushing it <laughs> but this great you know 
very simple plot of this group of terrorists kind of take over this building, have hostages. The cops can't get to them. They think that they're going to get this money, but there's one man that will save the day, and he is uh, he's going to do what he needs to do. And it is a fun, fun action film. And I do think that the other films, although that they've increased some of the action or kind of gone off with more CGI elements as they got, you know, to like Die Hard 4 and 5 and such, you can't pass up the original. Um, and the thing too, like there's a really cool, you can watch a little mini uh, behind the scenes thing. Sorry to ruin the ending if you've never seen it. I mean, by now it's kind of hard to think that you haven't. Again, if movies have been over 20 years old, we don't think it's a spoiler. Um, they actually did a thing where they had uh, Alan Rickman actually, he did fall a certain amount. So they really got that slow-mo reaction of him uh, falling at the end is a really, you know, it wasn't like a- Well, know, yeah, they, they, got... they, they, they kind of surprised him when they were like, we're gonna count yeah, down. surprised you know? him, so, yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> what a cool, what a cool like moment to get, but I mean, an iconic shot. And then of course, the other really, I think iconic uh, scene from this movie is him walking over the glass uh, on his bare feet is a very uh, remembered scene from Die and Hard. Just such a, just a great reluctant hero. And I think to think that this could have not happened with Bruce Willis because he was coming off of moonlighting and he was just kind of this romantic, like, oh, he's not an action hero. And it was like, again, like Michael Keaton, you know, just the, these guys that kind of surprised you. And I just, uh, happy trails, Hans. Just so many great lines with Alan Rickman. Just, you're right. Oh, just so good. So good. Well, we already talked about it last time. I obviously honorable mention. We did. We, to, we, we uh, just, we just talked about it recently. Um, we had to bring it up. Who framed Roger Rabbit. Again, one of those great animated movies. Yeah. You know, I wanted a little bounce, a little more animated movies in this uh, mix, but we had to say that, uh, which was another, another great film. And of course I had to throw in another little um, shout out, uh, go back. Cause we talked about it earlier and it's coming to America, uh, which wasn't this year, but now we're going to move on to bigger and better things. Well, not bigger, and better things, but uh, to the last year of the eighties, we're wrapping it up here with 1989. And we talked about rom-com earlier I got to start it off here with a quintessential rom-com I think has never been duplicated to, you cannot, this is lightning in a bottle, but we got to mention the American romantic comedy 1989, which is when Harry met Sally. I'll have what she's having. Yeah, exactly. Billy Crystal again, a quintessential Billy Crystal. And you got Meg Ryan, two of these leads who it just follows the story as they were first, uh, you know, you know, enemies to friends, uh, to, to lovers. And then, become you know becoming together and it was just really interesting to show that the question that raised was can men and women ever just be friends and it just it's a great movie because it's also split up with all these real life couples that are being interviewed which is really beautiful about how they met and things like that and it just advances the ideas that relationships um that became you know highest household concepts such as like high maintenance the transitional person and so it's a very timeless film although there's no there's no you know obviously it's a little dated because there's the phone the phone message uh there's no like cell phones or texting so a little bit little but the same concepts there and it's just the dialogue is so well and of course we got the amazing rob reiner directed this one written by Nora efren uh who have gone on to do amazing things but again this just kind of really really set the tone uh, and also Meg Ryan for just a great uh, romantic lead. She just she's always just like you know you want a romantic lead. And hey, our our favorite Tom Hanks. She's gone opposite of him in several films. But uh, 
yeah, this is one of the greatest things uh, ever. And of course, we get that great scene uh, before uh, I'll have a cheese haddock. Just perfect. Um, well, I have to bring up Honey, I Shrunk the Kids just because it's a yes. uh, favorite of mine uh, from this era. And it would, of course, also spawn off a franchise, but um, just a great, funny plot of Rick Moranis as this inventor who has invented this machine that can shrink things. And then um, his kids and the neighbor's kids accidentally uh, turn it on and get shrunk down. And so then the whole movie is them trying to, of course, they need to find a way to <laughs> get back to normal size. And it really does play into some fun fantasy elements when it comes to set design and creature design because they're on the lawn for a huge chunk of the movie. And because they're so small now, an ant would seem like a huge, you know, like an elephant or something to them. And I mean, I always feel sad. I always felt bad when the, the stupid scorpion kills the ant. But um, uh, spoiler. What kind of scorpion is it? Where, well, yeah, I'm also thinking, living? I'm like, like this looks now. like California. I'm like, if you're in the desert, desert, like, they look like the suburbs. I'm like, there's not a random scorpion in their yeah, grass. Like, that looks like my neighbor's that was a house plot point. in Pennsylvania. Come that on. was a typical plot point. They're like, we need to have uh, the, the creature that they care about the most needs to die. So we have uh, something to fight for. Um, and they, you know, fight off the scorpion in the end. But um, a funny role for uh, Rick Moranis. And we do know that there is being developed a new Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Some type of show is being developed for Disney+. Plus, and he has... Um, he has agreed to come back as Wayne Zielinski, which is a big deal because, you know, we're also wondering, is he going to make a, a little cameo in Ghostbusters? Because he he's, he's never really fully considered himself retired. It just unfortunately his wife passed and he wanted to get away from Hollywood and just raise his kids. Um, but it's kind of great to see that he has showed interest to act again. And he really was such a big star in the 80s and 90s. And then he just disappeared. Um, so I had to bring it when I shrunk the kids. So I got to talk about this one because there was, I wanted to mention one of his other films earlier, but, um, you know, we got, you know, I, back to what a great career and a lot of films, uh, just one of the most iconic actors of all time. We've talked about our love for Rob Williams. Yeah. This movie I had to mention, although, uh, others movies, you know, like good morning Vietnam, but this one really was big for me. We talked earlier about movies that we saw in high school or school, uh, this movie was just great because it showed not only the comedic, but the very dramatic side of this amazing actor. That, of course, is Dead Poets Society. Uh, just, a, just a great film because although it's set in a time, a time period where boys were supposed to be men at a very early age and they had, you had responsibilities and duty uh, to what was right, um, they meet this teacher. That It's just that classic story of someone who goes against the norms and teaches them to think for themselves and go outside there. And just that whole, you know, introducing us to poetry, I think that was the greatest thing ever because it made poetry really cool. I mean, and Walt Whitman and Oh Cat to My Captain still to this day. And that iconic scene where they're standing on the desks. Um, but I do love, again, it's, and it spawned like a great, great careers. I mean, you had a lot of early actors in this. Of course, we got Ethan Hawke, young Ethan Hawke, man, like fresh face. Uh, you know, it's just... Um, <laughs> Just an incredible film, and I just I still have a special place in my heart for this film. So I had to mention Dead Poet Society. Well, Taylor, I think we're gonna finish up our movies of the '80s with one last film that I know is both on our list. Uh, and to think that, although yes, there was uh, a few Superman sequels in the '80s, really to me the the first 
true comic book movie that I think we both would have seen in our youth and one that I think uh, definitely changed the game, which would lead to look at us now having multiple superhero movies every year would be 1989's Batman directed by Tim Byrne starring Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. Uh, this movie is, it is a really awesome Batman movie, uh, especially for a movie that doesn't really have like truly like a ton of special effects. There's like a few shots really to deal with the car uh, and maybe the, you know, the, um, the bat wing, but it's a, it's a movie with a lot of just like practical effects and really good acting uh, a very stunning performance from uh, Jack Nicholson, just hammered it up as the Joker, really kind of playing himself as the Joker, but it is a, a, a you know comic accurate, goofy performance. And for a lot of people, Michael Keane does reign as one of the best Batman slash, especially Bruce Wayne uh, interpretations. And we're getting him back next year in the Flash movie, which is going to be really exciting. But, you know, that movie... To, to, to kind of tail in this decade of the 80s where we had so many big movies and sequels and to think of how much the blockbuster became a mainstay, Batman, I think, was a movie that would launch the 90s to get more of these superhero movies, which then would lead to the 2000s, exploring that further until we got to 2008 with Iron Man and to see how now we're just so used to seeing... Both, you know, yes, Batman's a DC property, but both DC and uh, Marvel have had so many movies come out since that decade. So, Batman definitely is is uh, iconic for the late '80s. There. Well, and I agree. And, and just to go off what you're saying, I mean, yes, earning over 400 million the box office in total at the time, it was the fifth highest grossing film in history at the time it's released. So this is huge. Fun facts about this, though, it was not greenlit until after the success of Burton's Beetlejuice. So they were waiting to see how that did before they committed to him. And again, talking about how they thought this was a huge gamble and was very controversial. Keaton was cast because he's like, he was cast as the comedic actor. I was like, this this guy's Mr. Bob. He's not going to do it. And of course, Nicholson, except in the role, he had strict conditions like, uh, I want top billing, portion of the film earnings. And my own shooting schedule, you know. So, but yeah, just what a what a great film, and uh, like you said, it it launched. It was this is kind of what for the D, DC's heyday before the DCEU came about. This was the their Iron Man of the you know eighties and nineties. So yeah, I'm glad we wrapped it up this one because again, I remember seeing this in VHS and I fell in love with this movie. And this is probably what really got me into Jack Nicholson as an actor because this was quintessential Jack. So definitely worthy to send off. Probably, yeah. I would say probably the first movie we both would have seen Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson in. Uh, and I think of all the movies we've seen them in since. Um, but you know what? If there's some 80s movies that you love that came out in the summer that we did not mention, or some of your favorites, we want to hear about it. I want you to let us know in the comments where you can email us. But thanks for listening today to our summer movies of the 80s. Just think, we didn't even cover the other three seasons of the 80s. There's so many more movies we could have talked about. But well, I think we'll have to do in the future, we'll have to do uh, maybe summer movies of the 70s or the 90s. I mean, there's so many more movies to talk about. But I think that was a fun topic to talk about. And again, we couldn't include them all because there's just so many that came out in the 80s. It definitely was a huge decade where we started to see a huge boom and increasement how many movies could be released and look at nowadays even with the pandemic we're used to you know hundreds of films coming out every year uh that was not the case back in even the 60s and 70s and how much that has grown over time 
Yeah. And we couldn't talk about all this because people lose interest and probably fall asleep. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's um, the 80s truly was a amazing decade to uh, for film and inspiration of what film is today. So we thank you for the summer blockbusters and the big movies of the summer of the 80s. Uh, it's been real. But yeah, please, uh, you listen to this right now, comment on our socials, talk about it. If you're on Apple, we want to hear your comments. What did you like? What did you know here? So make sure you mention it. But Chris, thank you for deciding on this topic because I'm glad we got to do a little uh, throwback to the summer films of the 1980s. Thanks for listening to The Potential Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Potential Podcast or on Twitter at The Potential Pod. Or you can email us. Send us your positive feedback and thoughts, suggestions, and more through our email, thepotentialpodcast at yahoo.com. I'm your host, Chris Dewar. And I'm your host, Taylor Sokol. Stay tuned for more episodes on pop culture, entertainment, and nerdum. And remember, know, know your, your potential. potential.